Welcome to Break Future Brilliance podcast. My name is Seema Giri, your host. I'm an international speaker, best-selling and award-winning author, book writing mentor, publisher, and event producer. This podcast is about grit, perseverance, and I bring real-life stories to you of healing and transformational journeys so that you know that you can create a life on your own terms. Welcome to Break Feature Brilliance podcast. It is so wonderful to be here again with you on another episode. Today, we have a wonderful guest speaker, Cheryl Jones. Cheryl, it's so wonderful to have you today. It's really wonderful to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. Well, before we get started with this amazing interview, let's do a quick grounding exercise so we can be here in the now, in the present with all of you. So let's just close our eyes and don't close your eyes if you're driving, but just be present. So taking a deep cleansing breath all the way to your belly. And exhale anything that's not serving you right now, any worries, any concerns, just let all of that go. Take in another deep breath. And just feel into your body if you have any tightness or discomfort in any area. Once you identify the place, take in another deep breath and send your breath to that location. And all of that is released too. I would like you to now bring your attention to your heart. You might even want to put your hand over your heart to really feel that. Just feel how it's beating nicely to a rhythm. And think of a happy memory. It could be from today, yesterday, or any point of time in your life. And just Experience that moment as if you're experiencing it for the very first time. Experience the joy, the bliss. Use all of your senses. What was, what were you thinking at that moment? What was the smell? What was the taste? And just feel that in. Now I would like you to bring your attention to the top of your head, to the crown chakra. And now think of a second happy moment. Again, it could be any time from your life. And re-experience that as if you're experiencing it for the very first time. Let's again use all of your senses. What were you thinking? How were you feeling? Feel that love, that warmth, that joy. What was the smell at that moment? What, if you could describe how it tasted, how would that taste like? Perhaps you were having a meal or a drink. Now feel into that and just experience it as if you're experiencing it for the very first time. Take in a deep breath and take all of that in. Now, now I would like you to open yourself up to the possibilities. We're here together for a reason. I don't believe in any coincidences. Perhaps it's something that you need to hear from us for yourself. 
or even it may be for someone else and you would be that messenger. So open up your heart, open up your mind to what is possible from hearing our conversation today. And for me and Cheryl, I would invite ourselves to open up to what is possible for us too. As we share our message today, let's tune into what our audience needs to hear from us. And with the next breath in, we will be totally present in the here and now and can open your eyes. Cheryl, what, what came to your heart as we did that grounding exercise? Well, first of all, it was a beautiful way to begin an interview. Thank you for that. I feel so alive right now. Um, the memories that came to my mind, one was um, I took my second wife um, very much alive. We've been married about 23 years. When she turned 60, I took her on a surprise trip to Hawaii. And uh, it was bliss to surprise her. She didn't know until we got to the airport. Oh, wow. That was a very beautiful memory to, to re-inhabit. And, and I love that. I, we have um, memories can be re-experienced. And I think that's really important in grief, which is part of what I'm here to talk about, uh, that we can actually re-inhabit our experiences. And they change over time, and they're still alive. So I appreciated that. And the second was when my first grandchild was born. I was, mm -hmm. I was there. And so I just was remembering holding that new little human and uh, just the amazing feelings that came with that. So thank you. <laughs> Beautiful way to begin. Thank you. You're very welcome. And it is so true, right? We can relive those memories. They're so alive. And when you mentioned about that surprise trip, my husband had gifted that to me too for our fifth anniversary. And I didn't know until we got to the airport either. And he took me to the Bahamas on a cruise. <laughs> We have that in common. Yeah, I told her we were going packed for a few days uh, and there was going to be a pool. So she thought we were going to, I don't know, Calistoga or something. <laughs> but then we, were, we went to Hawaii. We had a great trip. So you know wow. what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. Happy surprises. Those are our only secrets in our relationship. Happy surprises. Exactly. That's beautiful. Well, today we're here to talk about living your losses and finding your forward with Cheryl. So Cheryl, I'm going to give you the formal introduction. Cheryl Jones is the host of the radio show Good Grief on the Voice America Network. She's also a grief counselor and cancer educator. During her education as a marriage and family therapist, her first wife was diagnosed with multiple myeloma which was at the time a uniformly fatal illness with a six month to a one year prognosis. In the eight plus years that followed, Cheryl engaged daily in the work of preparing for her death. She received training during this period from Stephen and Andrea Levine, who dies and grieving into, into life and death, and Richard Olney, founder of self-acceptance training. 
After her wife's death, Cheryl immersed herself in her own multifaceted grief, surprised by frequent moments of joy. Cheryl was a manager of professional education at the Women's Cancer Resource Center in Oakland, California, where she developed, managed, and taught in their continuing education program. Over the past 30 years, she's also facilitated support groups at the center. She facilitates grief workshops, integrating music into the art of remembrance. Her novel, An Ocean Between Them, tells a story of a mother and her lesbian daughter healing their broken relationship after the daughter is diagnosed with cancer. Cheryl is passionate about providing access to information and conversations about death and grief. She has appeared on numerous podcasts and speaks frequently about grief, resilience, and change. Combining her personal experience with a wide breadth of knowledge, encourage audience members. She encourages audience members to believe they are uniquely capable of navigating their own challenges, finding their way to a deeper life. Cheryl, that is an amazing uh, breadth of experience that you have. And it's so true that we dive into the work we do from a personal experience. And I don't think there can be a better time than now when the whole world is grieving in some way or other with the same issues we've all been dealing with with the pandemic. Oh, that's so absolutely true. Uh, I've noticed, you know, I, I still work as a counselor like 20 hours a week, 25 hours a week. <clears throat> and I noticed that people who had taken a deep dive into transformation already uh, automatically seemed to do better mm -hmm. at the start of the pandemic. The people who were used to being able to control their, you know, do the right thing and get everything to work out and, you know, um, come out well, um, were, were very much thrown off. They were comparing their experiences to other people. They weren't able to just feel the feelings of it. It was very hard for them to allow the grief experience of it because even people who didn't experience any immediate death during the pandemic lost everything, lost the life they had had. Um, and for me, I immediately was aware, okay, this is a challenge, right? Yes. I didn't know how long the challenge would be, but I knew it would be a challenge and I surrendered. I accepted that it was going to be a challenge that I'd have to let my feelings flow in, remain and leave. And that has stood me in good stead. Even, even though we had um, this time around, we have been bombarded with one thing after another that has been a totally out of our control, but some things that we had to deal with. So by you surrendering and letting go, you've been able to, was it easier for you to manage all the bombardedness? Is that a word, bombardedness that we've uh, had experienced? Um, well, absolutely. And, um, you know, I'm in a marginalized community. I'm a lesbian. I have uh, one child of con color, one son-in-law, two son-in-laws of color. Uh, you know, my kids are half Persian. Um, 
And so the impact of this time, not just in terms of the pandemic, but in terms of a lot of, of kind of um, hateful message mm -hmm. uh, has been profound. And, um, and I don't like to skip anything. That's been very painful, yes. but I'm okay with it. I, I'm glad to be a person who responds emotionally to inhumanity, to a lack of compassion. I'm okay with feeling bad about those things and then doing the next thing. So yes, I've been deeply affected. And it's actually the last four or five years have deepened my framework for understanding what helps us through. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, which principles I really rely on when these challenging times come along. So it sounds, so it sounds, it sounds like what you're saying is that as long as you acknowledge and accept what is happening, you don't have to like it and you don't have to accept in the terms of, you know, that you believe in it or you imbibe that feeling, but just accepting that it's happening um, and then allowing yourself to resolve that is, is the key. For me, it absolutely is because I find with my clients that um, a huge percentage of the pain they experience is actually the resistance to pain. Mm. Um, that actually they're in a fight with pain. And so it doesn't get to move through. It becomes lodged because emotions naturally flow they come and they go it's uh when we don't allow them that they tend to grip and remain so yes that's really key to my understanding of the having grief part of my equation that that we let it happen and that we learn to trust it so that is a great insight cheryl you just said that many times we resist, so it's more difficult to move through the pain. And one of the possibilities of resisting is because we don't want to experience the pain. And in my experience, it's been, you're going to deal with the pain, whether it's now or later. And when you do it later, it's even more because that time period in between, you're, you're struggling every single day, even with your daily, day-to-day -day life. And so it just compounds like compound interest the pain compounds as well it can uh, there there are a couple of caveats to that for instance uh i interviewed someone once whose parents had been murdered when he was 14 mm. and he just was not developmentally prepared to handle that and he kind of put it in a box but every year on their anniversary of their death he'd bring it out and cry all day you know but he had to get old enough to feel prepared to take it on yeah he didn't ignore yeah. it but he just didn't have the the skills really right so uh, you you do the best with what skills you have at that time exactly yeah yeah but in general i completely agree that what we try to avoid usually gangs up on us mm -hmm. and yeah. uh you know in grief for instance uh i i i don't feel i was able to be prepared for my wife to die my first wife to die but i definitely prepared and it turned out that after she died i was prepared i couldn't know it 
<laughs> but yes. I was prepared. And the biggest preparation was self-support. I was able to say everything I feel, everything I need, everything I want, if I can get the money and I can get childcare, I'm giving it to myself. <laughs> and so, you know, that helped so much because I let grief tell me what it needed. And then I just did it if I possibly could. And I wasn't in, I had a lot of pain going through me, but I didn't actually feel I was in pain. I, I just mm -hmm. felt pain was going through me as it should, as was natural. So that helped me tremendously. I would just like to pause you for a second and ask the listeners to one, see where are they resisting in their challenge during the pandemic or during, I mean, this pandemic is a whole big loss to begin with or any other area in their life that they could be possibly grieving or experiencing a loss. So pausing to see where are you resisting and bring that to your awareness. Awareness is the first key to moving forward. And then think through, um, you know, as Cheryl just said, you never know whether you're prepared enough or not until you've experienced a loss and then you're you're moving forward after that loss. Cheryl, you said that the biggest thing you gave was self-support. What does that mean? Can you elaborate on that? A lot of things go on in people's minds when they have a loss that are extremely unhelpful. Um, questions like, why am I feeling so bad? Why did this happen? Um, ways that we we feel it shouldn't be the way that it is mm -hmm. when in fact people die people have losses it is the way that it is um so that's that's a way we kind of cut ourselves off at the knees uh another way is i sh um i don't have a right to this because other people's problems are worse if i could eliminate grief comparison it would help a lot of people. <laughs> because, um, if you're saying I don't have a right to this grief, then it can't go in and come out because you're saying I shouldn't have it. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that goes on for people is uh, we're trained to think that um, feeling bad is something to solve. And in grief, feeling bad is something to live through it's you can't solve it it has to solve itself it has to move forward by its own volition and so i find a lot of people uh come in trying to um get the magic key to not feel bad when actually the magic key is feeling bad um so that's that's um and and the last is silence you know, I think we need four things to endure challenge to get to go forward with challenge. It's not so much enduring as going forward. We need to have the feelings. That's what we're mm -hmm. talking about right now. We need solace and comfort. We need a chance to lament. Well, that involves finding people who you who you can be honest with. You know, people that you can share your your sorrows with. We need to find inspiration which also involves looking outward 
you can't do it alone and you can't do it entirely with people. There's an aloneness and a with people. And we need to find actions that redeem our losses. Uh, for me, that's obvious, right? I, I have a radio show, I, I'm a grief counselor. I've got lots of ways, but sometimes it's much, um, much less linear. Uh, I know someone who started a, a um, uh, kind of sharing of writing to redeem her loss after her husband died. I know people who've made films about entirely unrelated things but some way that that your loss leads to an action eventually. So I think that um, those are all ways we, we get carried forward. But the basic bottom line is we have to allow grief to affect us. We have to allow it to matter. So where do you, is there a way to recognize the you're going way beyond like going into deep depression and stuff when you're allowing yourself, sometimes when you allow yourself to feel the pain and it's so hurtful, it's so bad that you go down that rabbit hole and it's difficult to come out. How do you recognize whether you're just experiencing the grief and the loss and the pain and when you're really going downwards? Oh, I'm really happy for that question because I think it's, so let's differentiate between the moment when the loss happens and the, and the time pretty close to that time. You're just gonna feel rotten most of the time. That's just natural. Mm -hmm. And that's because it matters, right? Uh, when, when my wife first died and I would, I, I, I would feel it physically, her loss, I felt it so physically, grief is so physical, uh, which I didn't, quite get before that time. And my constant uh, voice in my head was saying, um, you feel this bad because you loved her so much. You still mm -hmm. love her so much and her body is gone. Um, so I made it understandable to me. Yeah, so this makes sense, right? Um, so, but after that, initial period, which is a different amount of time for different people. I think it's, for me, pretty easy to differentiate between depression and grief. And there could be some of each, but I find grief to be full of feelings in every direction. The reason that I included joy in my, in my biography, which you so deeply shared, I appreciate that, all of the aspects, is that I was so shocked that actually I had a lot of joy, I had a lot of gratitude, um, I had a lot of feelings that were incredibly good feelings, and even happiness after the very initial period, well, when she first died, I was euphoric, to be honest. I didn't mm -hmm. feel the loss of her right away, but um, once I did, Yes, it was painful. And then there were moments when my child just delighted me, or there were moments when the sunshine, because I felt very alive in grief. And typically in depression, people feel very dulled. They, feel, they, they would say they feel terrible, but it's sort of a blanket terrible. Uh, there's not access to all of our feelings in depression. 
it's it's actually kind of blank and that's the pain of it um so I, it's it does it's never seemed hard to me to to differentiate those two things and interestingly let's say i have a client and i've had many clients like this who lost a parent when they were a child they come in depressed because grief has been um pushed away not just by them but by everyone around them I had a client who could hardly remember her mother, even though she was 10 when her mother died. And it was because everyone around her shut it down. No one talked mm -hmm. about her mother. You know, uh, when she would get emotional, people would say, oh, you're so sensitive. You're too sensitive. You know, she had basically had her grief foreshortened, erased. And that was the heart of the problem. That's what had led to the depression. So even when I'm working with someone who comes in depressed, I'm just geared to looking for the loss in it. Did they get hurt? Um, did they, for me, I was depressed as a young person. It was because we moved a lot. And every few mm -hmm. years I'd lose everybody in my life. It was actually grief that led to that. So that's how I... Does that give you a sense of how I differentiate there? Yes, I think that's a very good uh, differentiation tool to you. So, you know, again, say to the listeners, just check in with that. You know, grief means that you can, you have full access to all of your feelings and depression is like a blanket overall. You just don't feel good. You're not happy. You're not able to enjoy any aspect of your life. So as you're going through grief, keep a check on this see where you are. And if you're going down the depression road, that's probably a sign that you should get some additional support, get some additional help, start talking to people. And then see where, what is the root cause? Where is that coming from? It's this analysis that we can possibly do on, on our own. But I feel that we are not our body, our brain actually for, from protection, um, point of view doesn't allow us to really go deeply into our own feelings. So it's always a good idea to do someone, someone else, someone, you know, who's skilled at someone like Cheryl Jones, who's um, a grief counselor. And when someone looks at, at what you're going through from an external point of view, they can guide you in a lot better because you're seeing it from, you know, it's a non-judgmental outside they get to see what you're what's happening with where else you inside internally just go into that wheel that hamster wheel over and over again and you're not able to break that pattern to see anything different so that's a great tool to um to see in yourself so that brings something to mind Seema, which is that um a tremendous proportion of the work i do when I'm working with a client is normalizing the experience they're having. Yeah. Is just saying, yes, I've, I've sat with many people who are experiencing what you're experiencing. Yes. This is what happens when you have a deep loss, just all kinds of statements that say it's okay. Yes. I wanted to say a word also that um, I think there is a, um, an environmental aspect to not accepting our grief. Uh, for instance, I spent some time with a, 
uh, some people, one of whom was West African from Burkina Faso. And in that tradition, uh, grief is very public and very loud. Mm. And um, he was sent by his elders to the West to teach people how to grieve, basically. And uh, he said that his elders would say, why would such an intelligent culture give away their grief? They couldn't understand it. So I do think it's, it's somewhat defined by our environment. How do the people around us and the cultures around us uh, think of grief? Is it okay that people grieve, you know, yeah, yeah. get well right away, quote unquote, and be ready to go back to work in two minutes and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, I think that makes a huge impact. Uh, I don't know if you're aware that um, Cheryl Sandberg, who's the CFO, C, yes, COO of Facebook, I, Facebook yeah. um, within a extremely brief time uh, between the time her husband died suddenly uh, and apology, it was a really brief time before they changed their policy to give people a month off instead of a few days. That her loss had an, a, a direct impact on that culture. She's like, wow, a few days is nothing. Exactly. <laughs> and even a month is short, but it's better than a few days. So that just shows how little understanding lots of um, institutions have about grief. No, I totally agree with you. Your environment, your culture makes a big, huge difference. Even in the Indian culture, we have about 13 days of when someone dies, just for the whole funeral process, there's different aspects and different things. And during those 13 days, your neighbors, your friends are are supporting you with making the meals, with making, you don't have to do anything. You just experience the loss and, you know, because you can't really do anything. So your neighbors and your friends are bringing you food. People are coming and sitting with you, just being with you, not even saying anything, just being with you um, and, and helping you experience that loss. And then after 13 days, you slowly get into, um, into the normal aspect of life. Um, we've just, I've just experienced that loss with my sister-in-law in January. And, um, you know, I feel, I feel grief in my body, mentally, emotionally, I feel fine. I'm like moving forward, but my body has been not performing the way it would. And I was beginning to wonder, I'm not grieving. Am I normal? Or am I just so advanced that I'm not feeling anything? Then I realized you know, my ankles are swelling up all the time. I'm not able to continue my walks and exercise. You know, I have inflammation. So that's another way to see how you are taking grief in your body, you know, experiencing body. It's not always mental. You're not always crying all the time. That's so everyone is very, very different. And you can't compare from one to the other. You just have to internally say, okay, what is going on? I finally realized. It's all in my body. So now I'm giving that extra self-care and the support and not having, you know, 10 things to do in a day. I just look at the most important priority that will help my business move forward and help me move forward. And if it's two things, then it's the two things. And then I sit out in the sun. <laughs> 
So you have to give yourself that space and that time. Most importantly, Cheryl, um, you can let me know what you think about this. Compassion for yourself. It's a self-compassion and that self-love that is so needed. Pretend, pretend that you are your friend, your best friend, helping you get through this. I think that's the only way to best ex explain. What do you think, Cheryl? Yeah, you know, I was not a very um, compassion-oriented person. I was for other people, but for myself, uh, not so much when I was younger. I didn't even realize how negative my voice was about myself until uh, a couple of the first couple of years of my wife's illness. I I was just so hard on myself, and I started hearing it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, part of why probably you're not it's not happening in your mind so much as you've learned self-compassion elsewhere you're not in a fight with your thoughts and then it's i think grief is physical uh largely it's it's uh we feel the impact and we have the experience of grief we don't think it you know it's not it's not a thinking process so yes i think self-compassion and if you can't get there yet, um, because you know those thoughts originated in an attempt to protect us, mm -hmm. because children are incapable of self-control uh, without structure, and if there's something going wrong, they're likely to make themselves wrong, and then try to correct their own behavior, and kids don't have the capacity to stay that focused unless they're jabbing at themselves a lot. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people, most children have some, not trauma is a little bit of a big word, but most kids have painful experiences. Um, yeah. and, and I think we learn to harp on ourselves. And then if you have a parent who also does so, <laughs> that kind of adds to the mix. So learning, for me, I started hearing those criticisms. And then I learned to sit with those criticisms. And then I learned to add other thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, I like the phrase, on the other hand. So... Um, Let's say you have a thought, um, I shouldn't be feeling this way. On the other hand, I just had a really major loss. Maybe my system is just trying to, uh, to cope with that. So not trying to argue yourself out of the negative thought, because that's another negative thought. Right. <laughs> I, shouldn't no, that, that's... I shouldn't be thinking this way is also the same. So just saying, Okay, but also adding something. And over time, that does erode the self-criticism. If you can't, um, you know, most people learn not to criticize because they realize they criticize a lot. Yeah, that is true. And self-criticism is probably one of the highest one. So I would encourage our listeners to look at what they're saying. And what you're saying, Cheryl, is almost like two sides of a coin, right? 
it's two sides of a coin. You're feeling one way. And I love that. On the other hand, you know, I've just experienced this sauce. I'm feeling, you know, lethargic. Why am I feeling this way? Well, we just had this loss in this experience. So maybe that's contributing. That's, that's wonderful. So listeners, I encourage you to use this tool. On the other hand, two sides of a coin. I'm feeling this or but. Um, and, and that certainly will, will add some more compassion to, to you in dealing with this. One of my teachers, uh, Stephen Levine, who you mentioned, the, the, what you mentioned after his name or a couple of the books he wrote, um, he used to say, um, if we went out to dinner, well, we haven't been doing that lately, but we're starting to do it again. If we went out to dinner and the people in the booth next to us were talking to each other the way we talk to ourselves, we would not be able to eat. Yes. You know, it's true. We're so mean to ourselves sometimes and we don't deserve it um even when we make horrible mistakes it's usually out of an injury you know it's yeah. usually yes. something has been hurt in us and we get nowhere by you know wagging our fingers we get yeah so that brings up a good question is if it's not okay for you to hear someone else talk that way out loud why is it okay for you to silently do that to yourself in your head? Absolutely. And I, do, I, think we, I think we kind of subtract ourselves from humanity often. Um, everyone else has the right to make mistakes to, you know, unless they're big mistakes that affect us personally, and then we'll probably talk about them the same way we talk about <laughs> ourselves. But um, in general, philosophically, of course, people make mistakes, of course, people are not always kind, all of that. But when it's us, uh, ironically, it's almost like we don't get to, we don't allow ourselves our own humanity. We're supposed to be perfect, we're supposed to do it right. And I think that just compresses our lives so much. It's hard to learn because mis mistakes and challenges are always the way we learn. If we're not allowed to have them, how do we, how do we learn? Yeah. And many would argue that perfection is a low, low standard. I, oh, I so agree with that. I so yes. agree with that. So yeah. if you want to live a higher quality of life, don't try to be perfect because you're not supposed to be perfect. You have a, your, your, your own unique talent, your own uniqueness. That's why you're here part of the world. And you're supposed to show your uniqueness to the world, not trying to be perfect. If everyone's trying to be perfect, then you, you're, you've already lost the game, I feel. <laughs> there is something that is in the back of my mind a lot that I do try to do. Mm -hmm. And that is to be curious. Yes. So let's say I talk harshly to my wife. Well, I'm going to go away and say, what, what brought that result? Because she is the most precious person to me. I care a great deal about her. I love her. What in me was so threatened or unhappy or tired? that I would act that way towards her. Mm -hmm. And usually that's very illuminating. So to me, it's worth the effort to be curious. 
but not to be um, condemning. Totally agree. Be curious and not condemning. So Cheryl, now that the world is opening up again, we're going to be meeting in person and this, that's going to be opening up another whole can of worms, I feel. It's already doing that. It's already doing that, right. What advice do you have for people to, to get back into things? Because people are going to be meeting, they're going to be sharing their experience. They're going to be, you know, grieving together. Or, or I think people are really expressing themselves in a in a mean way i think they're just uh, just coming out at people and uh, almost like uh, i can't think of a better word uh, other than you know how how dogs growl or how cats <laughs> there's like a little snarl you know and then when they're saying it's just coming out of and I don't even know if people realize that's what's happening. So what advice do you have for people to come back in a little bit more calmly and from a loving space? I'm so glad you're asking because, you know, I noticed when I was doing a lot of groups with uh, people with cancer mm -hmm. uh, that the period when a person finished treatment was a critical emotional period and people got really out of whack, really upset, really unable to keep their balance. And it was such a mismatch because everyone else is like, yippee, you're done. And the person themselves is going, I feel terrible. Right? Yes. <laughs> um, I think that period where you're coming out is also a critical uh, time of, of, metamorphosis and those are hard periods but people expect it should just be a happy thing mm -hmm. and they don't take seriously that it's another change that they have emotions about so i'll give example that's examples that are a little personal for instance um i'm vaccinated my whole family is is vaccinated and um there are safe places to to eat in my area that are outdoors, you know, the whole nine yards. Uh, so a friend I'd been having Zoom dinner with every couple of weeks, we decided finally to meet at a local restaurant. And I was very squirrely about it. I knew logically it was fine, but you know, we've been a little, um, we've had mild cases of agoraphobia. We're, we're afraid of everybody, right? You don't just yeah. come out of that. Yeah. And, and so I acknowledged, yeah, it's scary to come back in. It's, it's, it's a little frightening, even though I, I've calculated, I know I feel safe with it. Mm -hmm. Plus don't compare, compare your sense of safety to someone else's, follow your own, but that's an aside. We went out to dinner, we had an in incredible time but I think that was possible because I had allowed myself to feel nervous about it in advance. Of course I was. I hadn't done that in a year and a half. Yeah. Right? Around that many people in a restaurant, ordering food. What a concept. So that's an example. We have to um, acknowledge that it's also challenging to come out of a challenge. And let that have its its time also. 
That's interesting. We have a challenge coming out of a challenge and it makes it makes perfect sense. So I would I would encourage the our listeners to look into look into how they're feeling about this. I was talking to a client yesterday and she was having anxiety around this whole thing. And what I said to her was, you know, just ease into it. You want to use your own judgment and your own, um, you know, your own. Everyone is intelligent and smart. So see what feels good to you. Don't do things that are feeling good to everyone else. And I told her, if you're not comfortable shaking hands or as women, we like to hug. If you're not comfortable with that, no one is going to feel bad. You just, you just let them know you can still wear your own mask if you're not sure. And you only will be meeting with people you know have been staying inside, have not been meeting with anyone else. So, you know, start with those kind of people. You don't have to just push yourself out there right away. And, you know, you're probably going to be experiencing grief around these things too. So just allow yourself to feel and be curious about those feelings and then see what is your best way of getting back into I'm going to call it the new normal well it's also this though Seema that um, I noticed over time because I talked to so many people that everyone had their their felt comfort zones uh, here's a personal example I have not gotten my hair cut since we went into lockdown my wife could not live without haircuts she got her hair cut numerous times. On the other hand, I was ready to go out to dinner way before she was, right? Yeah. We're, we're all, uh, and it has somewhat to do with what's critically important to us. And I, I, my curiosity actually taught me why I like to go out to eat. It's because uh, when I go out with my wife, we are completely focused on each other. And so then once I realized that, I was like, oh, well, we can probably do that at home, right? <laughs> Get, step to the side of all our, but but that that's very individual. Some people I worked with who were extremely cautious, had a friend die. And um, while she was dying, they went to their house, you know, a couple of times a week. They had been nowhere the whole mm -hmm. time. But that was worth the exception. You see what I'm saying? So we're very individual and unique about those things. Exactly. I've been to India twice during COVID because of my sister one time to take care of her. Then I got stuck over there. And then when she died last January, then and other people would not even consider doing something like that. My, my son-in-law, who's Brazilian, went and spent two or three months in Brazil where, near where his mother is right? That was critically important. Yeah. And so my daughter went and joined him for a while. And they just did it the safest way they could possibly do it. And they were quite safe about it. But I wasn't ready to get on a plane. I still haven't gotten on a plane. Nothing has made that necessary, but it's coming. So right. It's listening to yourself again. That's exactly. Allow, allow yourself to be you and what feels good to you. And that's the most important thing of all. Um, what, Cheryl, what makes you say that grief knows what it's doing? <laughs> it's one of my favorite little taglines, I guess. Grief knows what, what it's doing, listen. Because um, grief is a natural process. 
and it's hardwired in our bodies. Um, let's think about um, how important having a tribe was in, in pre-recorded history. Um, our connections to each other allowed human beings to survive because let's face it, we don't have that much when it comes to woolly mammoths versus us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we're gonna lose the fight unless we have each other. And so by the same token, losses then have a profound impact. It's a reflection of connectedness. So it's completely natural. Our bodies know how to do it. Uh, there used to be a lot more protection for that, that space, I feel, than there is now um, because of the way that modern culture works so fast and mm -hmm. there's so much demand and um, survival needs are very different than they were. But to me, um, grief is, is just a very sensible response to um, what we depend on no longer you know, changing. I, I feel I'm still in relationship to my first wife, but boy, did it change radically when her body was no longer right. here. Um, so there's that. Um, I, I firmly believe, because when people have gotten out of their way, I'm working with them and they finally say, well, I'm just gonna have to have this. You know, I can't get out of it. <laughs> it moves at its own pace and they, they find their way through it and they find their, their way to bigger lives. Um, one of my guests, a friend told him, grief will change you, let it. Because yes, it's not a bad thing. It's not, it's not a negative thing. Yeah, the, it's profoundly beautiful what people make out of grief. I've, I've interviewed 400 people that I would say that about. So well, let, it, yes. let it change you, let it grow you, let it affect you. It opens your heart. And I always like to say, your body has wisdom. Listen to it. Listen to it. Let it guide you. You can't go wrong. Be in connection with that. Well, I think uh, we're already over our time, but I feel this is such an important uh, topic that does not get discussed enough that uh, I just allow to go with the flow with this conversation. And I think I can probably talk hours with you on this, Cheryl. I think you can too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ha I do. <laughs> One of my kids always says, mom, you know, not everyone likes to talk about death as much as you do, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, so I'm glad, it's so neat. So I'm glad there are people in the world like you that like to talk about this to help all of us move forward. Is there one uh, one last parting word of advice you can give to our listeners that they can implement right now to help them grow, grow through grief. I would say the thing that comes to my mind, which I'll trust, is be careful who you talk to about your grief. Find someone to talk to, preferably someone who you have watched go through grief in an open way. Find someone who will hold space for you, not try, try to change what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, because uh, when, when other people shut down our grief, we tend to also shut it down ourselves. It's a very permeable state. 
Yeah. Uh, and it can really be affected by the people you share with. Find out some ways to deflect people who are not allowing you to have your grief and to bring people in who are. That's a very good advice, Cheryl. Don't, you know, be careful who you're talking to and select people that honor your feelings and honor what you're going through. And trust that you can, that you'll find your way through. Yeah. Not immediately. Trust, I, that is very important. Cheryl, I, do you have a free gift for our listeners? I do have an ebook that I can send to people who sign up for my email list, and they can do that by going to my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. They're kind of suggestions and a little bit of my own experience thrown in uh, to, to kind of get people started on accepting what they're going through and making space for it. Well, I think that's a very generous gift that you have given to our listeners. Thank you for that. I'm sure it's going to be very beneficial. Again, to get her ebook, go to www.weatheringgrief.com. Cheryl, it was such a pleasure having you on our show today. And it's been a, quite a learning experience for me as well. Oh, good. I've enjoyed myself very much. Thank you for having me. And to our listeners, I hope you picked up one or two nuggets that you can implement in your own life. You know, just try to pick one or two things to implement, not everything, because then we end up not implementing anything. <laughs> so choose what's important to you. Again, remember, trust, trust yourself, trust your body, and trust that you are going to get through this. We are all in this together, and we will all get through this together. And until next time, this is Seema. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Through this transformational journey, I hope you could see yourself taking similar steps, breaking free to your brilliance, and creating the life that you desire. Please subscribe to our Break Free to Brilliance podcast at your favorite listening place.